Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 uh, this morning. Remember last week we finished 19, and so go to Acts 20, uh, but also uh, go to 2 Corinthians and just kind of put something there that you can easily flip over there. Uh, we're not going to do an in-depth study of 2 Corinthians. However, uh, I think it will... Uh, this morning is going to be fun. We've done it. We've talked about it a lot how uh, the rest of the New Testament, uh, it kind of fills in a lot of blanks or uh, not clear spots in the book of Acts. And so a lot of times we're going through the narrative of Acts. Luke just kind of gives us a high flyover of a moment or an instance or something that happened, like in Ephesus, for instance. Like we had Ephesus just in one chapter, but he was there for three years. Paul was there for three years. And so a lot of times what we can do and go to the rest of the New Testament, uh, and it will fill in some blanks for us. I'm excited about that this morning. That's why I want you to get to 2 Corinthians as well. But Acts 20 be our main text. And so anyway, I want to go ahead and jump in and read. And so let's read Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> said, after the uproar ceased, so that, that was the riot in Ephesus we looked at last week, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through these regions, or those regions, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopatar, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, Accompanying him of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and uh, the Asians, Tychicus and uh, Trophimus. Or Trophimus. Uh, so there's a list of people. Then it says, uh, These went on ahead and were waiting for us. And so there's also Luke is now back. Remember, he left Luke in Philippi in 16. And so now we have the we statement again, or us statement again. So Luke is also a part of. This And so verse 6 says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to, uh, to them in Troas, or at Troas, and we stayed for seven days. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We pray now as we turn our attention to uh, the reading and the teaching of it, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. Uh, and God, teach us, Holy Spirit, illuminate that we can gain understanding of your word, uh, but more, fall more in love with uh, Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So I'm going to be completely honest with you. <clears throat> when I read these six verses, I went, where's the application of this text, right? Uh, and so you got, he leaves Ephesus, goes to Macedonia, encourages some churches, goes down to, to Greece, which is Corinth. And then we have uh, people who are trying to, he heard that there was a threat against him. And so he went back to Macedonia and there's a list of people. And then they went to Troas, like, all right, Lord, what, what is this? And so, uh, but as I continued to study and began to continue to pray for the Lord just to, uh, to give direction, it became, actually, I'm, I'm really excited about the text this morning uh, and, and, and where we have. And so what we need to remember, and I think uh, to, to kind of bring us to where uh, we get to Macedonia and then Corinth and then eventually to Troas, uh, to kind of remember that when Paul, so the past three years, we know that Paul was in Ephesus. 
right? And so we remember in Acts 19, he arrives on the hills uh, of Apollos there, uh, and there he met some disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus. They get saved, they get baptized, the church is born in Ephesus, or the church continues to grow in Ephesus, uh, and then you have the sons of Sceva, and then lastly we looked the riot Ephesus, uh, which took us three weeks, but the reality was that Paul was there for three years. And what we understand through the rest of the New Testament is that those three years, Paul had more things going on than just the Ephesians. Uh, matter of fact, we understand that if you remember in Acts 16 is whenever uh, Paul and uh, Paul and Cyrus, they had the, the, the Macedonian call to go to Philippi. And so they go, uh, begin the, 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 the missionary journey, they go to Philippi, and then in uh, chapter 16 is whenever they plant the church in Philippi, and then in 17, Thessalonica, and then in 18 is whenever they plant the church in Corinth. And from there, uh, the next place we pick up in 19 is that Paul's in Ephesus, and we know he's there for three years, but we also come to understand because of Scripture, especially 2 Corinthians, uh, but 1 Corinthians is that actually Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. And so uh, what happened was is that... Uh, that after he had planted and moved to Ephesus and began to do work there, he had gotten word through Chloe. We see that in First Corinthians chapter one that there had been some divisions that began to arise in the church in Corinth. And so Paul actually writes a letter to the church at Corinth uh, that we just know as the previous letter. We see that in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and so actually, you may not know, there's actually four letters that Paul had written to Corinth. We have what would be the second and fourth, but we call them first and second. Uh, but there was a previous letter that he wrote to deal with some of those issues. And then evidently, we understand in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians that the Corinthians had written Paul a letter. And ask them for some help. That's why if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it seems pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. Then he gets to chapter 7, and he actually says, now concerning the things you wrote, then he just kind of goes random, like marriage and uh, rituals and oaths. And that was because we believe that Corinth had some issues, so they write to Paul and say, hey, we have these issues, can you help us? And so then he writes what we know as 1 Corinthians, and he sends it by the hand of Timothy. Uh, and so he, we, evidently there was some, uh, there was a, if you go to 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man uh, that was, had sexual relations with his mother-in-law. These things were crazy. There were divisions. And so he writes 1 Corinthians to deal with that. A matter of fact, I think it may be, remember in Acts 19, beginning in verse 22, uh, it says, And having sent them into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erasmus, he himself stayed in Asia. So it could be even at that point that Paul sends the first letter to Corinth to address, to deal with these issues. Well, Timothy evidently returns, or somehow Paul gets uh, news that uh, the the. Corinth didn't respond or didn't do, didn't listen to his advice out of 1 Corinthians, uh, and things actually had gotten worse. They evidently didn't deal with the man properly yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that he said, like, hey, don't, like, bring this guy up front, discipline. Evidently, he may have been somebody, if he was from Jones County, it was somebody who had a lot of money, a lot of prestige, and they didn't want to ruffle the feathers, something happened. But anyway, Corinth didn't deal with the issues. Uh, he got word of that from Timothy. So evidently, we understand, because in this text, we know that he goes to Corinth, and we know that he went to Corinth in Acts uh, 18. But according to 2 Corinthians, that this 
Acts 20 would be his third visit. So sometime between Acts 18 and Acts 20, Paul had made another trip to Corinth. Luke doesn't tell us about it, but evidently because of Paul's writing to the Corinthians, uh, he had been there. We know that because he said this would be my third time. But anyway, out of just frustration or maybe brokenheartedness, Paul makes like an impromptu emergency trip to Corinth. Evidently, things got even worse when he went there. We see that in his letter to in 2 Corinthians, uh, that evidently even the guy who was leading the revolt, maybe it was the 1 Corinthians 5 guy, maybe it was another guy that came in and just kind of ultimately began to question the authority of, of Paul. Uh, and the church didn't defend him. So Paul leaves Corinth, comes back to Ephesus, uh, as in chapter 20. So this is part of his three years. And he writes a third letter, which is known as the tearful letter. That's what you read in 2 Corinthians, how he wrote with much remorse and anguish within him. So uh, Luke and I were joking this week, there's probably a reason why that one isn't in the canon. Uh, it's because it wasn't Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit inspired at all. It was just out of flesh. Response like, you dummies, you're not listening to him. We don't know what it said, but we know that it was harsh. So, now pick up here in verse chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. Now, Paul sent, so he sends Titus with that letter, that tearful letter. And in some time between the end of 19 and 20, now Titus is left to go to Corinth. He has not returned back to Paul. Paul doesn't know how the church is going to respond. So that's kind of where we find him when we get to chapter 20. And so it says this, that after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, so that's the disciples in Ephesus, he said goodbye and he went to Macedonia. So that's what we get about Macedonia. It seems like it's no big deal. But here's what I've come, like the Holy Spirit's kind of began to lead me in. Even though we don't have a whole lot other than he gets there, he encourages the churches and goes to Corinth. I believe if we'll use 2 Corinthians and other parts of the text, we can have a lot going on in Acts 20. First, I want you to see is Paul's condition when he's here in Macedonia. That Paul had just spent the past three years in Ephesus, and things weren't, we see some highlights. We also see some issues. And so the first thing that you see, according to 2 Corinthians, is that Paul faced pressures from the outside. And so the reason why this is important is because it's at this time in Macedonia, in verse 1, is that he writes the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians. That's why it's important for us to connect the dots here. It's because at this point, he sits down, he's been at Ephesus, now he comes into Macedonia. We know that he's going to get the collection to take it to Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. But he sits down, and at this point, it's in verse 1, in the time frame of verse 1, he writes the 2 Corinthians. So if we go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, we kind of understand Paul's condition a little bit more. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, we see that Paul faced pressures from the outside. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Asia, that would be Ephesus the place that he just left in 19. And so now the, what we faced in Asia, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength and that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So what's Paul's condition when he comes, gets to Macedonia? First of all, he had just experienced something. That he literally says that he was utterly burdened beyond strength, despaired of life, and thought he had sent us to death. Matter of fact, let me just kind of break that down a little bit if it, if it needs to. To be burdened beyond our strength literally means to be crushed or beyond the ability to endure. So Paul, we have this high and mighty giant for the gospel, but here we see his humanity. Then when he gets to Macedonia, he's not on cloud nine. He's been crushed. 
that, yeah, they've been successful in Ephesus, but he wasn't necessarily skipping to the to the beat of his own like he, he literally had just in, in Asia these past three years he, he had been burdened beyond his strength being crushed beyond the ability to endure he said the spirit of life as in literally what that means is that he saw no passage or exit or absence uh, there's absence of exit altogether he believed he felt that like he received a sentence of death as in no way out as in he thought his life would end in Asia In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you continue, verse 24. Did I give you, are these on the screen? Okay, cool. Verse 24, this is that, remember, he just got off out of Asia. Now he's sitting in Macedonia. He's writing, and I'll get to that in a second. But we understand this. It says this in verse 24. Five times I had received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, Less one, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. I was adrift at sea, at frequent journeys, and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. When Paul gets to Macedonia, we need to understand that his condition wasn't necessarily the most favorable. Physically, he had been, he'd, he'd lived through turmoil. I think we forget the humanity side of Paul because we see him encouraging the churches doing the thing, but physically, the dude was beat down. But not only was he burdened from the outside, but there were pressures from the inside. I, I've mentioned a little bit about his relationship with Corinth and how here we know he's about to write 2 Corinthians. We know that whenever he left Ephesus, that Titus had left with this teary letter, a letter of tears, but Paul didn't know how that was going to come back. And so what we see, according to 2 Corinthians, the dew is not only tore up on the outside, but tore up on the inside. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Here it is, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And so there, there's that second visit that we don't see necessarily in Acts, but for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I pained? For I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer uh, pain from those who should not should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy may be sorry that would my joy would be the joy of you all. But I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundance of love that I have for you. So whenever he, this is not only has he been facing pressure from the outside, but inside dealing with corn, he says, man, there's much pain and, and anguish. And this one's not coming to the screen, but if you just looked at the next page on mine in chapter 2, verse 12, this kind of indicator, some, this is some things like what I mean by like filling in the blanks. It says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedon. You remember, if you go back to Acts 20, so hold your place there. The only thing that Luke gives us in Acts 20 is that he left Ephesus and went to Macedonia, correct? What we understand from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is actually he stopped before there. So, Dilo, we bring up the map. Uh-huh. So, this isn't mine, this is Josh's. Uh, 
But anyway, so what we understand is that whenever 19 ends, sorry, my hands are so shaky. How do you do that? So that's where he was in 19. In 20, he ends up Macedonia, probably specifically Philippi. And then when he goes down to Greece, he goes to Corinth. And this would be like the last time that Paul is in this area. And so what he'll do in chapter 20, he'll go here and then he'll eventually, uh, like next week, he comes over here and he preaches so long, somebody's going to fall asleep. Luke's going to talk about that and he's going to die. Anyway, and then at the end of uh, 20, he'll get over here and he'll meet with some uh, Ephesian elders, got to give them some stuff like beware, beware of false teachers coming in. And then after that, the dude's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be there a whole lot longer than he originally planned uh, to take that gift. And then towards the end, we'll see him finally. You can't see it, but he'll go this way to Italy, to to Rome. But anyway, all that we have, and this is what I love about the Bible, all that we have in the book of Acts is that he left Ephesus, golly, he left Ephesus and went straight to Macedonia. But what did he tell us in chapter 2? That whenever he stopped at Troas. This is how messed up he was. Paul, who loves to preach the gospel, this is how much anguish he was in, concerned about how the, the Corinthians were going to take Titus's letter. That he said he stops in Troas, and there's a door wide open to preach the gospel, but he can't because his heart is in so much anguish that he wanted to find Titus. His hope was on the way from Ephesus to Macedonia that he would intercept Titus. And some along the way, their paths were cross, right? But it didn't happen. So he gets to Troas, and he's waiting, and he doesn't find him. And there's open door to preach the gospel, but he can't. But what does he say? The, the door is open. My spirit was not at rest because I could not find my brother Titus. And so then he leaves there, and he goes to Macedonia, which we read in chapter 7. Here's the cool thing. Chapter 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. So this is outside. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So here we see Paul telling the Corinth, hey, because he, 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 what we're reading now, he's in Macedonia writing this. And he says, hey, when I got here, man, my body, it was beat. There was fear with, there was, there was pain. There was, what, is it, what did he say? There was fear fighting within or without fear within. Check it out, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, and comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he was hoping to find him in Troas on the way. He didn't meet him. He couldn't stay in Troas, even though he had opportunity to preach the gospel, because he was so broken for the church at Corinth. And so he gets to Macedonia, and there he meets Titus. And we understand that Titus gives him good news. That's what we read. And if you continue to read that, they received the letter. They wanted Paul to come, because the last interaction they had is that some of them wanted to go. You see it from the very beginning in 1 Corinthians. Some want Apollo, some want Paul. There was always this division. Well, then it became Paul. Paul's not an apostle. Yes, he is an apostle. There was this division. And what what Titus comes back with, hey, they received it. Everything's good. They want to follow you. So what we see, again, there was pressure from outside, pressure within, but also just generally in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. So he just got through listing all of those things we just read, right? And he says this, and apart from the other things, there's just daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It wasn't just Corinth, but it was just life itself. He was just dealt with this, this deep anxiety for the church. And so what's just his, that's his condition when we read Acts chapter 20. That's the man that has been dealing with life. That's who he is. And so, Justin, what does that mean? What does that mean for me is that Paul was human, and he wasn't immune to the pressures from inside the church and also outside the church. 
And I know that like, I'm maybe reading into the text, but what, what, what I, what, what, what's encouraging to me is that like, superhero Paul was not immune to divisions even within the church. And he wasn't immune from the pressures of the outside. That matter of fact, he said even those anxieties and those pressures caused him like so much anxiety, so much unrest, so much struggle, and even to a point that some of it even made him like despair of life. And I'm just thankful that that we don't we don't worship Paul by any means. Obviously, we don't venerate it, but and I'm thankful for these examples of godly men who God used to build His church that were. Fallen and frail and susceptible to pain and struggle and doubt. That's, I'm thankful to see that in this text. Or in 2 Corinthians text that this man who, because all we seem like, he's a, he's a good Baptist. He gets to Macedonia. He, he laces his bootstraps. He goes and encourages everybody. Acts like, that's what we think we see. Is like, he just puts on a game face. But ultimately, when he got there, man, the dude was messed, like, he was messed up. That he despaired even. And just some practical application is that the, the despair, what, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but that was Paul's condition. But Paul didn't just wallow in his condition. Because that's, we, we like, we like it. We like to hang out there. Now, man, when Paul was there, we see him going encouraging. The churches, he's going to be able to get ahead of himself. He's also going throughout all of um, Macedonia and Achaia and Greece to collect that love offering to take to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, when he gets to Corinth, you know what he's going to do? He's going to write a letter to the Romans. He hears Phoebe's going to Rome. He's like, hey, I'm going to write a letter to them. And so, like, even in that was his condition, the man continued to serve the Lord and continued to, to put one step, one foot in front of the other. So, Despair should lead us to the Father. I think C.S. Lewis said it like this. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Disappointment leads us to what will not disappoint. That despair that you and I face is not for us just to wallow in, but I think God even uses our despair. So whatever it is, listen to me, if it's inside the church or from the outside of the church, that God doesn't even waste that. That, that despair is producing a dependence upon him, but also hope in him. That despair, whatever we want to call it, that it moves our eyes from the temporal to the eternal. One guy I read this week, unknown author says, an unbroken field produces no crop. Yeah, we see Paul's condition, not in Acts 20, but through 2 Corinthians, that's who, that's who he was in verse 1. That's the condition he found himself in. But also, now we see his condition, we see his concern. First of all, before he leaves Ephesus, he pulls all the disciples of Ephesus, and what does he do? You can, you can read it. What does he do? He encourages them. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions, so Macedonia, and he had gone through those regions, which would have been Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, that we see from Acts 16 all the way uh, until he jumps down in 18 to, to Greece, to Corinth. And so those places, matter of fact, the same places that this list of people that they represent those places, which is pretty cool. But anyway, the first thing we see that his concern is that he wanted to encourage the churches. 
He did it in Ephesus before he left. He's going to make another trip through Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. But he went to, I believe he went to Philippi, went to Berea, went to Thessalonica. He went through all the churches in Macedonia. And what did he do? He uh, had given them much encouragement. And this is what we see over and over with every missionary journey, right? He, 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 when, he, when he starts the first missionary journey, he goes, when he comes back, before, before he's leaving everywhere, what does he do? He goes back to places already established, he encourages the strength of the church, and he comes back, goes back to Antioch. Second missionary journey starts. He leaves Antioch. Where does he go? He goes to, to Asia Minor, his hometown, where he first planted churches. Then what does he do? He goes and encourages them. And then on the way back through, what is he going to do? He's going to go back through and encourage the churches that he had planted. And what Paul understood is that one of his concerns, even in his condition, is he wanted to encourage the people. And what we see, that encouragement is connected to through the word of God, through the teaching of God's word and the power of the spirit is that Paul went through and he encouraged the church. His second, I think, concern was that the correction of the church of God, the correction of church and the church in Corinth for God's glory and for their unity. Even in this time, what did he do? He got a letter, he got, no, he got news back from, from Titus, and so he sits down and writes 2 Corinthians, and there he's writing to them really a very personal. 2 Corinthians is almost like Paul's diary to me, as I, as I kept He's like literally just telling them how it's hard and how much anguish and how much he loves them as children and that kind of a deal and how thankful he is that they've repented, and we understand that they're going to have a long line of, of, of that. Uh, when I said when we got to Acts 17 uh, that we're just, or 18, that we're just starting Paul's crazy relationship with the church at Corinth, and it's going to continue. But he writes 2 Corinthians, and, and it wasn't just, man, it wasn't just to, to tell them that they missed the mark. Man, he wanted a, the church to find correction so that they would be there for God, so that God would be glorified from them, and that they would be unified. That there wouldn't be division among the people. And the third thing we know that he did while he was in verses 1 and 2 and 3 is that he took up the collection for the church in Jerusalem. You remember last week, uh, I'll have it written down, we'll see how good my memory is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 maybe? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 16. So this is whenever he sends Timothy in Acts 19. It's not too boring for y'all, is it? But anyway, in 19, whenever he sends Timothy to them to talk about the letter, this is, so now in this letter is telling them, hey, Timothy's coming with this. But anyway, it says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so that is uh, where he is now with Macedonia, or no, Galatia's over here, uh, but we'll see in Macedonia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up, that he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting. When I come and when I arrive, I will send those of whom you accredit by letter to carry a gift, your gift to Jerusalem, if it seems advisable that I should go also. He says in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intended uh, to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for that I want you to uh, for I, <coughs> I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope uh, maybe that's whenever things get a little ish, you know, iffy and he doesn't want to go. Uh, I hope to uh, spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective ministry open to me. But there were also many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord. So we understand that that's whenever he, that was his plan to send Timothy with a letter and to get the collection. But we understand, remember, uh, what does he say? He says, and he came to Greece. 
What book did he write in Greek whenever he was in, he came to Corinth. What book did he write when he was in Corinth? The book of Romans. So how 2 Corinthians is helping us, time, uh, helping us with his time in Macedonia, Romans will help us with his time in Corinth. And that's what we see in chapter 15, verse 24 to 27. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing the aids to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For, they, uh, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. So we know his concerns just by looking at all of Scripture, if you will, is that he spent time encouraging the church, correcting the church, and taking the collection for the church in Jerusalem. So Justin, what does that mean for me? Did you know that you and I all are called to be encouragers? I didn't know if that, like, encouragement is not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual duty. I don't have the gift of encouragement. Yeah, you do. You've got the, the Spirit of God inside of you. Paul, man, Paul was a man. Yes, he was zealous about the mission of God, but he wanted to encourage the church. He wanted his brothers and sisters to fall more in love with Jesus and one another by his ministry. He, yes, he wanted to correct the things that maybe they had wrong, but he wanted to bless them for what the work that God had done in their life. It wasn't just all naysaying and negative. It was, I want to encourage you. We've lost the gift of encouragement, church. Because like I said, it's not about the, the idea that me and you should call. Matter of fact, I think encouragement upon Scripture is actually more than just, hey, we just make each other feel good. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you and sorry be if lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God so be careful that something's going on and you may cause somebody to walk away from God and look what he does but exhort one another daily that means to encourage one another daily so even my my walk with Jesus and my faithfulness my walk in Jesus let me say it like this, your faithfulness in walking in Jesus can be helped by my simple encouragement for you and to you. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the by deceitfulness of sin. Ask the question this week. So what we see while Paul is in Macedonia, he's serving the saints. He's serving them by encouragement. He's serving them by correcting. He's serving them by taking care of needs. So here's an application to this text. How can we serve the saints this week? How can you serve the saints, God's people, this week? I wrote all this. Who needs your encouragement this week? Not your criticism. Not your critique. Your encouragement. Who is somebody, and they can be members of Crosspoint or elsewhere, who needs your encouragement this week? Secondly, who do you need to check on this week? And I mean like a brother or sister maybe who is 
not being like a full-fledged Corinthian, but that's like somebody who maybe has, you know, they love the Lord, and but something's happened. Maybe they've taken a, st- a step in the wrong direction, maybe, and maybe you'd be like Paul, not like correcting for the sake of calling out somebody's sin, but who is it that you need to check on? Thirdly, who can you serve this week by taking care of a need? That's what we see him doing while he's in Macedonia. He's encouraging, he's correcting, he's collecting. He's meeting, he's serving God's people in three different ways. Lastly, we see in this text, not only do we see his condition and his concern, but we see his companions. Seems random. It's kind of like these were most of the names I'm probably mispronouncing when I read them. It's one of those I just want to cough it, like cough as I say, and just move forward. We have this Sopatar guy who's a Berean. We met them where in Acts 17. There's a church that those remember the Berean church. That was the church who like not only listened to what Paul said, but they went to the Word and said, "I want to see if these things are so." Like that dude comes from them. Thessalonians, you got Aristarchus and Secondus. From Derby, you got Gaius, Timothy. Asians, which would be Ephesus and Tychicus and Trophimus. It just seems like a random group of people. But as I kept studying, I saw these people are representatives of all the churches ultimately that Paul, that God has planted through Paul. Now, these weren't just random people. What, what, what was he doing primarily there, right? He was going to collect an offering to take to the poor people in Jerusalem. And what does the church do? Hey, we'll send people from our church to help you on your mission. And then I wrote, the churches understood that, first of all, that there was one church. That's what you see in that text. Here's this group of dudes from all over the, all over uh, Macedonia and Asia and Asia Minor. Like they're, the picture of that is, man, there's, they may be from Berea or Thessalonica or Asia Minor or wherever. But they're one church. Secondly, we see that Paul's fruitfulness was not just in converts, but partners. He didn't just go plant a church and get people converted. He, put, he went and people got converted and they joined in, which is my third point, that the early church understood that they were called to join God in his mission. So what that's the, the six verses that we have here is that, man, Paul's condition is that he was human. Let's don't wallow in it, but let's seek the Lord in it. His concerns was serving the body, whether through encouragement, correction, or collection. And we see a beautiful picture. Man, we see a beautiful picture. Yes, through these people, Paul met a physical need. But man, it was a radical demonstration, illustration of the unity of God's people. Take home. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has spoke to you this morning, but I know that he has through his word. Maybe you identify with Paul's condition at this moment. I guess one thing you can go is like, just because you feel the weight of the world doesn't mean that something's like wrong just in you. You're the only one that's ever felt that. 
Or maybe even church has frustrated you. Maybe I frustrated you. You can look at this text and say, Corinthians, go, we're not the only ones to get into a disagreement about something. Maybe it's not from the inside, maybe it's from the outside. I don't know what it is that's weighing on you. We have an example of Paul that those things don't have to destroy and defeat us, that we can keep serving the Lord. Maybe God's calling you to creatively serve his people this week through encouragement or checking on somebody or taking care of needs. I know all of us need to be like the early church and go, we know that we're not just saved to be sitting on the back row, but we're saved to be participants in God's mission. And like praying for Redemption City, I don't know all the details of the, the two families that are going out, but I'm sure that they're probably considered some of like the most faithful people at Redemption City. It's probably what you see in the church. It's probably some of the greatest people in the church. What did the church do? They let go of the greatest or the best. Why? For God's kingdom. I read a quote this week, and I shared it with Daniel, that worship is not just about raised hands. It's loosed hands. That God, whatever it is, whatever you want me to do, this is, this is an act of worship. I let go of my right to be the Lord of my own life. It's not just raised, it's loosed. And maybe God's calling some of us to loose, loose some things this morning. That's an act of worship. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray now that you use the teaching of your word to edify your people. I trust your Holy Spirit has searched the hearts of every individual in here and is moving and prodding. And so I pray that we just respond in a way that you're leading us to. God, if there's somebody here this morning who has yet to trust in Jesus for salvation, that today will be the day of salvation for them. That you would prick their hearts and draw them to you. <laughs> Father, we just kind of want to sit in this moment in this posture of prayer. Uh, we ask, we allow your spirit to, to minister. You just got to hang out in that moment. I'm not going to physically lead you in prayer. I'm actually going to go to the back, and if you need to talk or pray, Luke's in the back, I'm in the back, whatever you need to do there. If you need to use, make the front a place for you to just kind of sit before the Lord and kneel before the Lord. But just in a, Daniel, a few moments, if y'all just take it whenever, but... You move as the Lord leads.